Our scripture reading for today on which the gospel lesson is based comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here at Metro Church. And if this is your first time here checking us out, um, first and foremost, I'll say we're so glad that you are here with us. And we've been going through a sermon series titled uh, Pastoral Prayers. For the past few weeks, um, we've been having uh, the opportunity for our pastors just to share, uh, you know, some of the um, scriptures, some of the passages that have personally been convicting for us. And at the same time, passages and topics that we we felt like, you know, the people here uh, needed to hear, especially in light of a very busy season. And this morning, for our time today, what I wanted to kind of hone in on is through one of my favorite passages of the Bible, and that is Psalm 23. Now, the late biblical counselor, uh, someone that has personally shaped my life, is a gentleman named David Pallison. And he wrote uh, something that really struck a chord with me as I read Psalm 23 often. And he wrote something known as the anti-Psalm 23. And the anti-Psalm 23 was really written to articulate some of our pain and our anguish that some of us maybe in this room right now may be experiencing. And I actually wanted to read this for us as we begin our time. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need and nothing's quite right. I'm always restless, I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle, I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert, I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumbled down some dark paths and still I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want and how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my, I spend my life protecting myself. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. 
My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be forever alone, homeless, free falling into void? It's a living death, and then I die. This is the anguish I think many of ourselves often talk ourselves into, including me. But I'm also convinced that in light of that anguish in the gospel, because of Christ, we have a new hope. That the anti-Psalm 2030 doesn't have to be our narrative, but because of Christ, we are offered something brand new, that he offers us a greater peace and a greater rest in green pastures because of Jesus Christ. I have three points for us this morning as we dive into the word. The first point is going to be about our need for a deeper rest. Secondly, how God provides this deeper rest. And thirdly, what cost for us to have this deeper rest? The need, the provision, and the cost. Let's dive right in. Now, Psalm 23 uh, is written by King David. And we all know who King David is. King David is considered to be the greatest king of Israel's history. And because of this, when we think about King David, we always reflect on his kingship and his godliness and how he essentially unified all of Israel. But when we look at Scripture holistically and when we see the life of David, we actually see that his personal narrative was one of a divided heart. Consider this with me, that David's life was always of much restlessness, and it was often filled with constant burden. When you look at David's life, it was often, uh, it often consumed of being dismissed by loved ones. He was outcasted by his father. He was overlooked by his brothers. David constantly had enemies. He hid from enemies in caves. He engaged in civil wars. He was constantly torn apart from friends. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 tells us that he was lost within himself, and it led to the sins of adultery and even murder. David, he experienced constant sorrow. He lost his first wife, the rape of his daughter, and the death of even two sons. And here, in Psalm 23, which many scholars believe that this was written towards the end of his life, David is now looking back at his long journey, and how does he respond? He says in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I lack nothing. Now, David 
seeing God as a shepherd is not something that you uh, see often in Scripture, but it's not actually completely left field. And there's two reasons for this. Number one, David himself, prior to kingship, uh, he was actually raised and trained as a, a shepherd boy. So David, he knew how significant uh, the uh, role a shepherd play in society. In fact, shepherds were known to be an important part of uh, Israel's economy and agriculture. And secondly, in ancient Near East history, kings were also acknowledged as shepherds of their people. Why? Because just as a shepherd was called to uh, lead and to protect and to, to defend, and well, in the same way, a king was to follow suit for his people. See, David, who was a shepherd himself, he knew the duties of a shepherd to keep their flock intact and to protect it from predators. And here, when David says that the Lord is my shepherd, what David is essentially saying is he too needs to be intact with God. He too needs protection from enemies, and he too needs to be spiritually fed. In other words, David is needing a deeper rest that only a shepherd could provide. And that's why in verse 2 and 3, David continues, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. See, David right now is painting a picture for us on how God was and is a shepherd throughout his entire life. You know, when I think through this and when I uh, picture it in my head, I can't help to see this image of, of, of an older David just on a rocking chair with some gray hairs because of the realities of life. Yet at the same time, he's so content because he is surrounded by the green pastures that God provided for him. And I really believe that what David is doing is he's painting a picture for us right now. Because just as David needed a shepherd in the most difficult times of his life, he is reminding the listener, he's reminding you and I that we too need this gentle care that only God could provide. See, our souls, it needs great comfort. And I actually think some of us, we may even be able to acknowledge it, but the question I have for us is where do you look for it? What do I mean? See, when uh, we look at green pastures and still waters, it's metaphoric language, and it's a metaphor for security. It's the security that we all look for. But what we see throughout the Bible, right, is that because of our sin, we naturally uh, tend to look uh, at security in anyone, in anywhere outside of God, which actually includes ourselves. So the reality is we desire to say that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but the, the, the reality of what sin does, it makes us declare the Lord is not my shepherd, I'm looking for something else for security, for green pastures, for the still waters. But just like sheep without a shepherd, it will always lead to wandering. It's a great danger because you are essentially saying, I'm on my own. I'll figure it out. See, for some of us, 
We find our ultimate security and rest in our work. For some of us, uh, we find our ultimate security and rest within our relationships. For some of us, we find our ultimate security in our bank accounts. And hear me, those are great things. Those are things that I hope that you have. But the question is, if they are ultimate, are they really giving you rest? See, those are often things that we tirelessly work for. Those are things that we constantly look for in terms of our approval and just our fulfillment in life. But when you do that, it will always lead to a corroded soul. It will always lead to a spiritual unhealthiness. Now, the question is, is what are some of those symptoms of a very restless heart? What leads us to the lies of the anti-Psalm 23? Well, a few things, right? Number one, instead of allowing yourself to uh, lie down in God's green pastures, you're constantly in anxiety because you're always afraid of losing that security. You're always in constant anxiety when things aren't going well in terms of what you look for in your security. And you're constantly overworking to keep it or to gain more from it. Secondly, instead of those still waters that David is talking about, you are always in a constant need to be busy. You know, because at the end of it, you're never really content with what God has placed within your life, and you always want more. So at the end, you're really never refreshed. You're always just this tired, discouraged, and you're really never just satisfied in life. Because see, the things of this world, they were, not, they were never meant to satisfy your soul. That's why we're always left disappointed. That's why we're always left discouraged. It's the reason why we're never content. Because we're always looking for things outside of God that would provide spiritual rest like it's going to take a burden. Friends, do you believe that just like your body needing rest, your soul needs rest as well? And if you believe that, the next question I have for you is, where are you going to get it from? Well, that leads us to our second point, the provision for deeper rest. Now, biblical scholars, they consider this psalm to be a, a song of confidence, right? That's why in verse 4, David says that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A valley is a very low area, and it's often between a hill or a mountain. And in David's day, you know, being around a valley, uh, it signified danger. It represented things that can go terribly wrong. So it was always characterized by uh, floods. Um, it was always characterized by uh, attacks from animals and even attacks from outlaws. But look at what David says. He says that he will not fear any evil, no matter how deep the valley. I shall fear no evil because in the darkest of valleys, in the lowest of the lows, David is confident and it's because God is with him. 
And I know this sounds a little elementary, but this actually tells us something very, very important. It tells us this, that God, our shepherd, he provides something far greater than just a change of circumstances. And he will do sometimes. But in light of God's sovereignty, rather than changing your circumstance, what he is saying is true rest. It's not from the uh, circumstance extracted from your life, but it's the promise that he is with you in all of your circumstances. See, God, he provides a deeper rest not from the extraction of circumstance in your life, but he provides you something far greater in the darkest moments of your narrative. He provides himself. Now hear me when I say this. I'm not saying, you know, uh, that you should love everything that's happening within your life, right? You know, no one wishes upon these things upon you when you are going through seasons of restlessness and suffering and burden. But what does tell us is that you can be confident. You can be assured knowing that you're not alone in the circumstances, And what I've learned in life, what is far greater or far worse in light of the circumstance, what's far worse than the circumstance is knowing that you're alone in the circumstance. And when we read scripture, God says, you are not alone. Hallelujah. We can come to him in confidence knowing that God will not only hear your prayers, but he will answer your prayers, as Tim Keller said, in the way that you would pray for if you knew what God knows. How do we know this? Look at David's life. David was comforted, but in verse 4, he says that he was comforted because of his rod and staff. (laughs) A rod or staff, it was essentially a, a, a piece of metal or wood, and it was often a tool for defense, right? Shepherds, they usually carried a rod and staff to, you know, number one, to kind of fend off, you know, wild animals. But secondly, the rod and staff, it, it were also meant to guide and control the sheep, right? When, when the sheep, you know, they're not the brightest type of animal, so if they ever started to wander, the shepherd would have to lovingly, gently, you know, give a little hit to to make sure that they're kind of keeping check so that they don't wander. And just in the same way, just as the staff was used to protect the sheep from wandering, in the sovereignty of God, it often through our circumstances are what's needed to actually build you. Consider David. It was through David's loneliness in the caves. It was through David's suffering because of his acts of murder and adultery. It was through David's hardships of tragedy in his family that would ultimately lead to the shaping of his character and his faith in a sovereign God. It was in these things that God was using his isolation. God used his aloneness. He used 
suffering as an incubator to build in David the character and the leadership and his trust in the Lord to become a king. So we see that this is not a Uh, just a song of sorrow and sadness, but this is a psalm of confidence because after all of the civil wars that David experienced, both physically and spiritually, he now sees with purpose is because through it, David is the person who he is right now, that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. That he, through it all, is confident that God was with him, that he is known and loved by God. And if God can do that for David, then most certainly God is using your isolation. He's using your aloneness. He's using your brokenness during a time of uncertainty to make you and to build you a kingliness that only God could provide. Oh, I wish I could tell you over how God was faithful over and over and over again in my life. I wish I had two more hours to speak right now, but I know y'all don't want to give me that time. But I wish I could tell you all the times in my life where I pleaded to God, remove the spiritual thorn from me. And I could tell you over and over again how he responded was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you believe that in your deepest need for spiritual rest, God would provide for it? And because, number one, looking back, you see that He has already provided for you in every step of the way. But secondly, he promises that he will never leave you because God paid the greatest price to assure us. That leads us to our final point, the cost. Look at verse 5 with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. A prepared table and oil represents the comfort and the rest of God's household. That there is a home at the end of the day. You know, I remember growing up as a child and after my parents, uh, they came home from work every single night, right? 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. every single night, working and working and working. I remember growing up seeing that, and what happened every night after work, after I came home from work, well, did they do it themselves? Did they go home, and did they provide a dinner themselves and figure it out on our own? No. By God's grace, there was a, a loving grandma, and, and she always made sure that, that that the household, after long days of work, was set up in an amazing meal just for a quick moment for my parents to actually rest, just for that brief moment to make sure that they're being taken care of. And yeah, she probably didn't have to, but my grandmom knew that they needed it. And in the same way, when we see verse 5, the table set up for us, the oil upon our heads, the comfort that we seek. 
That is what God provides. Provides us a deep spiritual rest, a table to sit at and cleansing after a long season. But the question I have for us is, how do we get it? Is it through our good works? Is it through our moral behavior? behavior excuse me. Is it through a good standard of living? Verse 5 doesn't say, I prepare. It doesn't say, um, I anoint. But it says that you prepare and you anoint. What does that tell us, friends? It tells us this. It cost us absolutely nothing for us to have access in this deeper rest because it cost God everything. Centuries later in John chapter 10, Jesus announces to his disciples that he is the good shepherd. In verse 14, it specifically says, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And what do we see on the cross? The cross tells us that he laid down his life for us, that he laid down his life for us so that all of the sins and the injustices of this world that prevents us from an eternal rest it would be absorbed by the blood of Christ so that you and I could be declared righteous and that we could have access to God the Father that provides us in an infinite and abundant rest that no one else could provide. See, the gospel, it tells us that Jesus entered our restlessness. He walked in the valleys of the shadow of death. He faced every evil. He faced all the threats of the anti-psalm that we experience ourselves. And he did it for us. And it was God's mercy and goodness that followed him and carried him. And friends, when you believe this as true, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to remind you, to promise you that you are never alone. Well, in response, you're always wanting to be more intimate with him. See, Jesus Christ, his body was nailed on the cross so that you could lie down in green pastures. His soul was poured empty so that our cup could be overflowed with an abundance of joy. And Jesus, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death so that you can stand in the newness of everlasting life. In other words, when you believe that Christ did all of these things for you, you will make it a priority to rest in him. So how do we apply this right now? How do we apply Psalm 23? I have one big emphasis, but more of a twofold, and it's very simple, and it's this. Make resting in God the number one priority in your life. Now, I know that sounds elementary, but I'm a firm believer in knowing that God knows it's difficult. And the reason why I say that is when you look at the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is 
your call to rest. He made it a commandment because he knew how hard it is for us to actually do. God knows that we don't know how to rest. God knows we are so anxious. God knows we are so burdened. We want to always try to figure it out ourselves. So he makes it a command to rest. And when we read Psalm 23, God wants us to rest in him. Make it a priority. We do this in a twofold. Number one, very simply, uh, commit to a daily rest by reading, meditating, and praying through Scripture. I know that sounds very elementary, but it's going to be so important in terms of how you navigate through life on a daily basis and for the rest of your life. Make Scripture a priority. Make it real spiritual rest. Now, I'm not mad when, you know, we want to go, um, you know, vacations and, you know, have fun and all of that. I'm not mad at that. I hope you guys do that, right? You know, even the pastors, we always talk about the staff, how, you know, we're going to um, try to figure out a time where we're going to all rest vacation together. And trust me, I will be the first one to have a really bad picture on the social. And I'm going to enjoy that. And you guys should enjoy those things. But make not that a priority, Don't look forward to just this one weekend of fun, but make spiritual rest and renewal a priority through Scripture. If you want to be specific, meditate on Psalm 23 as a perfect reminder of God calling us to the rest that he seeks. Second way to apply Psalm 23, simply in light of rest, will commit to worship. If you're here and you're checking us out, consider it. Consider it on a higher level. Now, I know some of us have very busy schedules, and I know the reality, right? Sometimes schedules prevents us from, you know, even attending Sunday worship. Um, and I'm not mad at that. I actually get that. I get that our schedules can be busy. But on the other flip side, I, I think we take uh, Sunday worship a little too lightly. In light of God's rest, consider what it means to commit to worshiping on a Sabbath day. In light of that, consider what it means to plug in more into community, right? If you're here, check out community groups, right? Not just because it's a thing to do, but you really want to take your rest seriously. And there is a rest none greater when you know that the people surround you are all in need of a deep spiritual rest. And my, my, does that assure us? Does that refresh us? See, the cost of deep spiritual rest amounted to nothing in terms of what we had to do, yet it cost God everything. And in response, would this truth shape you to partaking in a deeper rest today? I'll read verse 6, and I'll begin to close. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love verse 6, and it's something I'm not going to lie, when I read this psalm, I kind of neglected. But the more and more I read uh, verse 6, it really kind of convicted me. Because it's really interesting, when you look at verse 6, God's house, it's portrayed as the journey's end for God's people, right? So we almost see like a shift, right? It started off 
in the outsides. It uh, started off uh, in the fields, but now the imagery changes to one of hospitality, that the shepherd himself becomes a host. See, when, when a sheep has no shepherd, what happens is um, it, the sheep itself, it, it, gets, um, you know, it gets beaten up. The wool, it overgrows. So as light, in light of, because there's no care, right, the wool, as it's overgrowing, it becomes matted. It gets heavy in weight. It can also lead to infections with parasites, and sometimes it leads to death, all without a shepherd. Beloved, because of Christ, no matter how heavy your burden is, no matter how unforgivable you think your sin may be, no matter how broken you feel because of your past, no matter what it is that makes you think you can't enter the house of the Lord, be reminded that Jesus Christ is a shepherd and is a host. He invites all who are broken. He invites all who are weary. So would you taste and see and consider how our God is a shepherd? Would you join me in prayer?